Well, this evening, uh, it is a joy and a pleasure to have a guest ministry, someone that I have met through Barnabas Ministries over the, the last 25, 30 years of Barnabas Ministry, going to Africa and traveling. I was able to be in Kenya two different times, one time with my wife and another time with uh, Barnabas Ministries. Um, and so it has been a great relationship. Anybody that's connected with Barnabas Ministry, how many of you know Dr. Wins, Brother Wins? Many of you know him over the years uh, that he's come here to minister. Uh, anybody that's connected with Barnabas Ministry is just a good, good people, good people, amen. And so the Bishop Tom Arati, he oversees several churches in uh, Kenya, started several churches, and able to minister in his church uh, a couple of different occasions. But we have the, um, the honor, the privilege to have him in our house for the next few days. And so we gave him the Italian's version of rice. Macaroni and meatballs, that's... that's macaroni to the Italians is like rice to Africans. Amen. And so he had some good, uh, I trust it was good. You seem to enjoy it. <laughs> and so uh, would you just open up your heart to uh, a man of God, one who comes with a word from the Lord. He's also going to be ministering on Sunday morning. Would you give Bishop Tomarati a great big victory welcome this morning, this evening? Closer, because I am not as as uh, light as uh, as many of you. So at least if I come closer, you'll be able to notice. <laughs> it's a it's a joy, a really great joy to be here with you, and I I thank um, your pastor, my friend uh, Richard and and Lisa for having me here, and for hosting me in their house. They have given me a very nice apartment, and I'm not sure if I am leaving. Um, I can't wait for them to come back to Kenya so that I can have the opportunity to revenge. Uh, so you've been told my name is uh, Tom Arati. I, uh, I come from Kenya, obviously Africa. Um, and I am married. I... I hope that the media would help me be able to show uh, my beautiful wife. That lady there is my wife, my only wife. Uh, we've been married for so many years. We have um, actually, you may not believe, we have a marriage experience of 62 years. You know, some of you looked at me, you think I'm very young. I've married her for 31 years. She has married me that one years. Together is 62. And uh, the Lord has blessed us with uh, two biological children. Um, the, the tall one is our son. He's the youngest. He's the last born. His name is David. Um, he's uh, 28. And the shorter one is our firstborn. Her name is Victoria. And she's married. And the next one is the husband. Um, yes. And uh, since um, I got late becoming a grandfather, so recently, about 11 months tomorrow, we became grandparents. And because we were late to become grandparents, God decided to give us a double portion. He gave us twins. Uh, the last time I was here, uh, about 11 years ago, I think I may have shown you this picture. The next one is our central church. Uh, this is our central church in the, in, the, in the second largest city in Kenya, Mombasa, which is a predominantly Islamic but by the grace of God, God has planted us in the middle of the city. And we have about eight or between eight and ten mosques 
surrounding our church. And uh, by the grace of God, the church is continuing to gain ground in that region. Um, I think uh, we now have about six churches, but the next picture I want to show you is um, a church we began about five years ago. Because I was here about 11 years ago. And so since then we have um, started a couple of churches. And this one is, is, in, is called Bamburi. I was started about five years ago. We celebrated in July five years since it was, uh, it was started. And um, the Lord blessed us. Um, the church began to grow. We had about uh, 200 or so people after a very short time. And then COVID came. And the World Health Organization uh, gave us regulations on how to operate the church. And they told us that we must have a 1.5 um, meter apart social distance. And so when we, the, the place we were meeting is a rental space. Or it was like a classroom. When we marked out the 1.5, we could only be able to feed 20 people. And we did not know where to take the rest. And by the grace of God, we, we can show you the next picture. This is our, our sanctuary for the Bamburi Church. During COVID, when everybody was closing, you know, COVID did not affect God. He still remained God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, when we did not know where to take the people, the Lord showed us a property of about five and a half acres, which was on sale, and we had no money to buy it. And God said, buy it. You know, when God tells you to do something, he knows how he's going to fund it. And so we both, we went, entered into an agreement with the Sarah. And uh, by the way, they were Muslims. And the Muslims don't sell property to the church. And so we told them we are business people. And indeed, we are business people because we are in the business of God. And so we took the property and gave a, town, a down payment of 10%, and we told him that we will pay you 10, the rest of 90% in 90 days. And what God gave us, the idea God gave us, is to, to sub, this place was already subdivided into small portions of about 40 pieces, 50 by 100 feet. And when we looked at the, how much this guy was selling to us, it was an equivalent of about... Um, ab about $10,000 per piece. But the actual value was double. So what we did, we took the property and sold it to people at a profit and paid the owner. And so, this church now sits on a, a space of 1.5 acres which we did not buy. And some of the proceeds from the cell build this sanctuary. So meaning that we got money from the Muslims to build the house of God. I have come here to tell you that we serve a miracle working God. And that God is still alive today. He did that during COVID. The next picture I will show you during COVID, 20, the year 2020, the Lord told me that I, we should start a new church. When everybody else is closing church, God told us we start another one in the capital city of Nairobi. And that is uh, the youngest baby church that we started. And today, it's about one and, a half, one and a half years old. And we already have 100 people worshiping in that place.
can see the, the next one, that is the, the Nairobi church. By the grace of God, we have a number of people who are contributing to pay rent for this place, and we are believing God that soon God will give us our own property. We also have a school that we run, and I think last time when I was here, I shared with you uh, that we have a school, and that school we have about uh, 350 children, and 50% of those children are Muslims. But before we, we teach them the normal lessons, we must teach them the word of God. And so we are believing that God is going to help us impact their lives, that in the future, they will be able to bring their families to the, to the kingdom. One time, the home of the parents came saying that we are teaching their children religion, and they, they should, we should allow them to come and teach their religion also. But I told them, when you brought your children here, you knew that this is a, a church school. If you don't like them coming here, take them somewhere else. Because I knew our school is the best. So they won't take them anywhere. And they are not paying school fees because we, we, allow, we raise, raise money to keep the children in school. And so we have over 350 children. We feed them and we also pay, buy a uniform for them and school, and, and, and school uniform, shoe. We buy them shoes for them. It costs about $200 to keep one child in school for a season. Amen. That's all the stories I wanted to share with you. But I want to share... Uh, the word of God with us uh, this uh, evening. In our church, in our ministry, I oversee about uh, six assemblies, six churches, and we have several mission stations. But the Lord has been speaking to us since uh, we experienced COVID-19. Many people are not back to church all over the world. And somebody was saying that COVID changed people. But I have come to say that no, COVID did not change people. COVID revealed the condition of the people. Many people are actually backslidden. Many believers, they are believers by name, but they are not practicing. And the Lord began to speak to us about it's time for us to pray for revival to come back to the church. And that's why I want to share with us on the subject, eliminating the enemies of revival. How can we create an environment, a condition that can be able to attract the presence of God? What we need is, is not money. What we need is not, is, is not uh, big jobs. What we need is God. If we have God, we have everything we need. The Bible says in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, the word of God will say, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. This verse is, uh, is the theme verse for our ministry this year, 2022. I call it the verse for revival. The verse is God's promise that those who turn from their sins and call on him, and walk in his ways, they would experience revival. They would experience the blessing of God. They would ex experience the presence of God. When you look at the context of this verse, it's the people of, each, of Israel. But the application speaks to every generation. And so it is applicable to all of us. 
the writer of the book says that God desires to revive his people. May I say this? Revival is an, a supernatural event. We cannot psych people to revival. We cannot program a revival. It is the act of God. It is a supernatural event. It comes only by the sovereign degree of the Lord. So the writer of Chronicles speaks of the possibility and also problems associated with the not having revival. And I also want you to note that this verse is directed to God's people. He's saying, if my people, which are called by my name. So this verse is not for non-believers. This verse is for the church. Because you cannot revive that which did not exist. You can only revive that which was there, which used to be alive, but now it has died. So I want to share with us a, a couple of uh, things tonight. You can only revive that which was already existing. So the Bible teaches us that we must fight the enemy of revival. How many of you desire that we will see revival in our nation? That we will see revival come back. That the times of uh, T.L. Osborne the times of Bill Graham, the times when Leonard Bonke would go to Africa and thousands and thousands of people would come to Jesus Christ. We will see the blind eyes open. We will see the lame walk. We desire that we will see that time. That that time of refreshing will come upon us. But why are we not experiencing that revival? Number one, the number one thing we must eliminate is pride. Pride is the enemy number one. The Bible says in verse 14 that if they would humble themselves, the phrase deals with the area of pride. The word translated pride in the Old Testament, it means to rise or to swell up. It speaks of men thinking more of themselves and their abilities than God. Pride says, I do not need God. I can make it on my own. I know best. I call the shots in my life. That is what pride does. Friends, in our modern society, we we have been eaten up by pride because we have adopted the Raudation attitude that we find in the book of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. The New Living Translation put this way. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind are naked. If we are going to experience revival, we got to learn to embrace humility. Anybody with me here tonight? Pride is the opposite of humility. You know why is it that in um, in in uh, in this in this culture, somebody can be sick, and it does not ask for prayer of healing. You know why? I have come from Kenya to tell you why. You don't do that because you have a credit card. Because you have a medical care. Instead of going to God, you go to hospital. There's nothing wrong to go to hospital. But I tell you why, why you see revival comes easier in Africa than here. Because us, we have no choice. Is it a God or we die? And so we don't have number two. We don't have to go to hospital 
and then God. We go to God, and then we go to God, then we go to God. Hallelujah. You know, somebody has said this. Pride is the only kind of disease that when you have got it, it makes everybody else sick. Pride repulses. Humility attracts the presence of God. Hallelujah. I want you to know that the revival does not come to make you feel good. You know, I have been in so many revival meetings where people expect to feel like, Ooh, I feel the presence of God. Revival does not come to make you feel good. Revival comes to make you feel the need for God and the need to let other people know God. Revival that does not bring, make you become an evangelist is not revival. Revival does not just come so that the blind eyes be opened. Why should the blind eye be opened? It's so that somebody can give glory to God. The revival comes so that people can recognize the need for God. So I want to give you four practical things that humility does. Number one, humility gives preference to others. I hope you understand my English. You know, I come from Africa, we speak English, and you speak American. That is the difference. <laughs> Humility gives preference to others. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, in the NAS version, it says, give preference to one another in honor. Give preference to to one another in honor. There's somebody by the name of Leonard uh, Panstian. He was a very famous orchestra conductor. He was conducting a big uh, orchestra. He was asked one time, what is the most difficult instrument in the orchestra to play? What is the most difficult instrument to play in the orchestra? And he said, second fiddle. Second fiddle. You know that that is true. Everybody wants to be on the spot, on the top spot. But without everyone else in the choir, there is no symphony. Are you hearing me? There is no one-man band. You can, you can make people laugh in, you know, maybe in New York City for a few minutes, but you cannot be able to sustain a one-man band. It takes all parts. It takes everybody. So humility gives preference to others. If we are going to experience revival, we must prefer others. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 and eight onwards, according to the message translation, it says, don't push yourself way to the front. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. I like that version. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Number two, humility is willing to learn from others. I am realizing that today we live in a society or people who know it even when they don't know. That is why men all over the world, they never ask for direction. Even when your wife tells you, can we ask for direction? No, I know. That only happens in Africa, isn't it? Humility is willing to learn from others. The Bible says, Proverbs 15 and verse 12, Conceited people do not like to be corrected. They never ask for advice. Humility always wins many good friends. I want you to know that the revival, when a revival breaks out in this church, 
you will need to have a second and third and fourth service. Because revival does not come so that we can jump around and feel good. Revival comes so that we can bring others to enjoy what we are enjoying. Are you hearing me? I want you to know this, brethren, that whatever you have is not going to heaven. If you have a nice house, thank God for Pastor and Mama, you have a nice house. I, I like your house. I also have a house back home, a nice house. I enjoyed the, the, the ride in your car. I also have a car. It may not be as good as yours, but I have a car that it can make me move from point A to B. But the, the truth is this. If Jesus comes today, that car is not going to heaven. That nice house of yours, there is no parking slot in heaven for your car. When Jesus comes, if, if the trumpet sounds today, your car is junk. Your nice house at the beach, maybe you have a boat, is junk. Because the only thing that you can take with you to heaven is people. Heaven is people, is for people. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It is not, that place is not, going, is not going to prepare a place. Even he said, there are many mansions. In other words, you don't need to take your, your small mansion to heaven. Jesus went to already to prepare one for us in heaven. So, I, I would like you with a smile on your face. I would like you to turn your neighbor and ask, tell him for me, you may not like me. But I, I, am, I probably am the only thing you can take with you to heaven. That is a fact. So humility prefers others. The reason we are not experiencing revival quickly is because we are selfish. We want revival for ourselves, not for others. Jesus says in the book of Matthew 5.5, 5, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. One of the things humility does is that it makes you become more likable. How many of you like people who are, who are humble? Humility makes us more likable. We attract people when we are humble. People will like you more than when you are proud. You know, somebody said this. I hope you will see the next one. No one was ever choked to death by swallowing bride. Have we ever had somebody has died and they, in the obituary they said so and so has died in the course of death swallowing bride? <laughs> Nobody has ever died by swallowing bride. So I have come from Africa to tell you if you swallow bride you will not die. You will experience revival. So we have a choice tonight. Number three, humility admits when I am wrong. That's what the humility does. It admits. It comes, uh, you know, this humility or admitting that you are wrong comes easier to others and more difficult to many people. Like one pastor who put it this way, sometimes I sin, but I didn't sin half as much as my wife sins. The truth of the matter is that we all make mistakes. And the Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, it says, I am a man who, um, a man who, who, who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. 
if we admit and forsake our mistakes, we get another chance. We experience a revival. I pray that the Lord will give us another chance to experience a revival in this assembly. Hallelujah. Number four, humility surrenders his plans to God. All of us, we have our own plans. But humility surrenders our plans. We surrender, when we are humble, we surrender our plans to God. James chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, God opposes everyone who is proud, but he gives grace to everyone who is humble. He opposes anybody who is proud. I wouldn't want to be in a boxing ring with somebody like Mike Tyson. One time I was telling um, uh, my friends here, I was in, um, in one country, one of the Asian countries. I, uh, I was going to speak um, to missionaries who are in the close countries. And so I couldn't say I am, I am a pastor. Actually, when I, I, when I applied for the visa, I said I am a businessman. And I didn't lie. I'm in the business of God. Thankfully, they never asked me which business. So while I was there, I was in, walking in the street. I was the only black. And so everybody was saying, Mac Tyson, Mac Tyson. <laughs> For a while, I was a celebrity, you know. I was Mac Tyson on the streets of, of that uh, city. I wouldn't want to be in a boxing ring with Mac Tyson. If those, those professionals could not last seven, for a very short time, if you have ever watched the boxing, the fights, one minute, the game is over. And you want to be in a boxing ring with God. When I was young, I, I was, well, before I got married, I, uh, I joined a boxing club. I was already a pastor. I wanted just for, for fun and also for exercise. And I was the, the heaviest in the, in the club. So one time, my club was playing against another club. And so they were in different categories. And so they said um, that the heavyweight category, which I was, I would represent the club. I said, no way. He said, uh, you don't have to worry. Because the opponent, they don't have a person in that category. So what you do, you jump into the ring. And then there's nobody who will come. You will be declared the winner. And then I figured, what if I go there? And then suddenly some, somebody shows up who is a professional boxer, gives me a knockout, and the newspaper in Kenya headline will say, a pastor was in a boxing ring and he was knocked to death. God opposes everyone who is proud but he gives grace to everyone who is humble. When you are proud, you are in a boxing ring with God. And I guarantee you, you can't win. Somebody has said that you can put on the most expensive clothes, but when God opposes you, you look ugly. How many of you agree with me? You can, you can wear, you know, there is sometimes you can wear very expensive clothes, but you still don't look attractive. But when we have revival and the presence of God is all over us, you can wear the most, the cheapest clothes and you still look attractive. Romans chapter 6 verse 13 says, God gives, uh, give yourselves to God and surrender your whole being to him to be used for his righteous purpose. 
Number two, enemy number one was bride. Enemy number two is prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. Today, all of us, honestly, if I ask all of you, how many of you desire to see revival? I would be surprised if your hand stays down. All of us, we desire revival, but we don't, des we don't desire prayer. Even when we come to prayer, it's like we're coming to be marked that we were there. But really, we are not in the place of prayer where we agonize in prayer to see things happen in the city. To see the many people who are, who are into drug addiction being set free. We need to come as a church to a place where we don't come to prayer casually. We need to come to the place of prayer to, to stand in between, between God and the city. Between God and our children. Even the pastor's children who have gone wayward. No amount of rebuke is going to bring them back. It is God. Because nobody comes to God unless he's drawn by the Spirit of God. Prayerlessness is one of the enemies of revival. The Bible says that if they, if they pray, somebody by the name of Charles Finlay, he said, prayer is the essential link in the chain of events that leads to revival. Prayer is the essential link in the chain of events that leads to revival. Another person says that the church is dying on its feet because it is not living on its knees. And I thought that is a very profound statement. The church is dying on its feet because it is not living on its knees. Let me just give you a few causes of prayerlessness. Uh, quickly. Some of the reasons why we don't pray. Number one is sin. In the world today, in the developed world, including our, our world, we are now baptizing sin something else. We don't call sin sin. We call it a weakness. I don't know whether you invite me again. But it is now becoming normal. Instead of saying you have sinned, you say so-and-so has a weakness. Sin is a factor that causes prayerlessness in, in believers. Sin undermines our faith and confidence in God. And it denies us the right to enjoy what is rightfully ours. Like for example, when you are sick, you can receive healing. But when you, when you are living in sin, is for example, if, you, if, if I owed you money, if I owed you money, and um, I have not been, and I have not paid you, when I see you, I dodge. I, um, I assume I am not seeing you. And then one time, I am in need. I need, a, I need, a, I need help. I need a, I'm in a desperate need. I will not be confident to come to you to help me. Am I right? Because I am not in good terms with you. I have not honored the first commitment, the first pledge I made. The same way when we are living in sin, we cannot have confidence to go to God and, and ask him to give us what is rightfully ours. You know, there is somebody, I had a story of somebody who bought a house, very nice house. And um, the owner of the house uh, told the new buyer that I, I can give you this house on the price you are, you are, ask, you are you're, you're telling me to give you on one condition. If uh, I can take away everything in the house, I leave the house empty, apart from the nail 
that is uh, in the living room, there is a nail. He had, he had put a nail, he had driven a nail through the wall in the living room. And they said, you can take the whole house, but there's only one thing you cannot own. It is the nail that I have dri driven into, the, into the, the wall of the living room. And the new buyer said, uh, what, what will I be losing? Only a nail on the, on the wall. And they agreed. They sealed the, the, sealed the deal. He gave him the key to the house. And then once in a while, the, the original owner will come with a, a piece of meat, on a piece of uh, a stinking meat. Do you understand them? And they will hang it there. And the house will be stinking. And then the, the new owner will say, what are you doing? This is all you. We agreed. It is in, it is in, the, in, the, in the contract that you own everything apart from the nail. And uh, eventually, the, house, uh, the, the new owner was unable to live in that house. He sold the house to the, old, to the older owner. Um, cheaper than he bought it. Are you understanding that many times the enemy will bring something small, a nail, something small in your life and holds you at ransom? Tells you, you know, I, I, own, I, own, I own this place. You have no right to go and ask God. And so, sin Number two is business. Being too busy. Being so busy. And we are so busy. We are busy for everything else apart from God. We can be so busy. Even people can be so busy to go shopping that they will avoid the prayer meeting. I'm talking about Africa, not here. People can go, they can go to golf, to do golf on Sunday, and they don't feel guilty. Hey, I'm just talking. I'm going to leave soon. Next Sunday, I will go away. You, 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 you know, you, you go to golf or do something, do a sport, go fishing on Sunday, and you don't feel guilty. You feel you are still okay. Hallelujah. Since you can speak in tongues, but you are, you are, since you are able still to do it, actually we can, we can look like we are spiritual, but we call a form of godliness, but we deny the power. Is anybody hearing hear me here tonight? Number three is unforgiveness. When we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts, it makes us not to pray. When we are, we are holding people in our hearts, we don't want to forgive them. We are, we are holding them in our hearts. I want you to know this. When you hold somebody in your heart, you are holding yourself. Actually, when you forgive people, you release them. You are not releasing them. You are releasing yourself. And so many of us, whether it is here or back home, we are not experiencing the power of God, the favor of God in our lives, because we justify unforgiveness. You, even people hold grudges with each other in the church. You know, I, I wish believers can be like, Soccer players. You know, soccer. We call it football back home. You know, when you, when you watch soccer, the, the European League, one, one, one player would hurt the other. He will, he will be limping, and within a very short time, he's up, and he's up, about to play. Christians, you hurt them with a very tiny thing. They will be limping for 10 years. 
am I right? He said, so and so hurt me. I was in the choir. I've left that choir for him. He's not the one who called you to the choir. God is the one who called you. If somebody hurts you because of what he said, at the end of the day, God is going to ask you, hold you accountable for the call, the, whatever he had called you to do. You are excused that so and so did this, so and so did this. He's not going to, to help. You know, somebody hurt me many years ago. About 15 years ago. He caused a, caused a split in the church. Took away 200 people. And then to cut the long story short, I, after he had left, I found out that in, in the computer he left behind, he had said so many nasty things about me. And he, uh, they were in communication with other people saying, you do this, when you go to the meeting, business meeting, you say this, and then so and so will say this, and I know you will get upset, and people will know that he's the problem person. Thankfully, after he had left, I found this computer he left behind, and I found all these things, and I began to say, God, how can people be so evil? And God, you know, have you ever felt that God is not fair? I am not the one who had a problem. It's them. It's them who had a problem. They're the ones who wrote these nasty things. And then God says, okay, forgive them. So we, we fought with God for a while. And, and, and God said, I told you, forgive them. But, uh, I, okay, I forgive them if they apologize. So, it's God, I'll go to the prayer meeting, praying, I, I'm, I'm hoping that God will bring fire from heaven and consume them. I'm just a human being. Instead, God is telling me that I am the sinner because I am not forgiving. And so eventually, I, um, I wrote a letter to them. I, caught, I took all the things, all the conversation they had, put them in a, in a, in a file, in a, in a computer, I put, a, I put in a file all of them, and I, with an accompanying note to say, whatever I did to deserve what you did, Please, will you find it in your heart to forgive me? And I found all this uh, information. I decided to send them to you for, for your safekeeping. <laughs> Fifteen years, they have never responded. Can you imagine who could, who could have been a fool? If I waited for an apology for 15 years, I would still be a slave today. So I am here to tell you, if you are going to experience revival, you must release people. Some of them are dead, but you are ho still holding them. How can you hold somebody who has died? He's not alive. He's not breathing. And that person is dead, and yet he's controlling your life. I don't know who I came to speak to. Point number three quickly because of my time here. Point number three, misplaced priorities. Misplaced priorities is the enemy of revival. God's people are told to seek his face. The word seek means to search out by any method, especially by, by worship and prayer. The word face refers to the countenance, to turn towards his direction. You see, revival does not come to people who seek revival, but to people who seek God. Did you hear what I said? Revival does not come to people who seek revival. Revival comes to people who seek God. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4 says, 
but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did first. God is saying that God must be your priority. If we are going to experience revival, we must make God our priority. Because priorities are what you believe God wants you to do. Pressure is what everybody else wants you to do. You know, the culture, the pressure from the culture is telling you you must buy this, you must have this. And so you are, you are running your, like a chicken without a head, chasing for things while you are not chasing the one who owns things. Can I see your hand if anybody is hearing me here? And this is not a problem of America. This is a problem of every human being. We are chasing everything else except the one who owns everything else. Misplaced priorities. Number four, presumption. Presumption is the enemy number four. What is presumption? Oh, sorry, you didn't hear. Presumption. God's, once people are told, turn from your wicked ways. Stop what you are doing. Today we are having so many people who say, I am born again. I love God. But their life, their conversion and their life, they don't match. Their conversion is going this way and their lifestyle is going this way. Presumption. God is saying, if you are going this way, if you want revival and you are headed this way, God is saying, Make a turn around. 180 degrees. Begin to go the opposite of where we were going. Don't just keep saying, I got saved such and such a day. You know, there are people in, in Africa who can give you a testimony how they got saved in 1970. I want to know, what is God doing in your life right now? You know, there are people who say, you know, we were there when the church began. Praise God. We thank God for you. But what are you doing right now? We are living in history. Psalm 66 and verse 18 and 19 says, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Hallelujah. That is why we are not having a revival. Our conversion and our lifestyle need to match. So the Bible says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that the grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live anymore in it? We need to turn around. Hallelujah. Don't, keep, don't just keep on saying, you know, I have this problem, this weakness in my heart. We have a God who is able to deliver us from that weakness. Hallelujah. Leonard Bonke, he was an, a great evangelist who preached in Africa many years. He has gone to be with the Lord. He shared a story one time with us. He said there was a man who used to work in a... In a in a place where a processing place, a meat processing place. And one day he was tempted to steal chicken. He would put chicken in, in, a, in his jacket and go away with it. One, one day the supervisor caught him. And he told him, I, I saw you stealing chicken. And then he said, uh, oh, I'm very sorry. Okay, I forgive you. I will not report you. But you must do your shift and also do mine. For, for a long time, he kept on doing his, his, his job, and then he does the job of the other person. Until one day, he was so tired. He decided to go and report himself to the owner of the company. <laughs> he went to the owner of the company and said, you know what? I want to tell you what you don't know. I have been stealing chicken from your company. And so I, I just came, I decided to come and report myself. And the, the, he was expecting that the owner of the company will sack him. But he told him, I am glad 
I know you are not the only one who has been stealing. I forgive you on one condition. Keep an eye on the people who are stealing chicken. And so the next day he did his job and it was his turn to go home. He began to go home and the supervisor said, where are you going? I'm going home. Remember the chicken. And the man said, no, I don't remember the chicken. I already reported myself to the boss. Don't let the devil like put a, a string around you and keep on pushing you around the way he wants. Why don't you just report yourself? Report yourself to the big boss. And the big boss will forgive you. And you will be a free man. And so I challenge you in the name of the Lord. If we apply the few principles I've shared with us, I believe that we will be on our way to experiencing revival in our hearts. Will you just go to the last slide? The second last. I want us to know if we are going to experience revival, we need the power of God in our lives. It is the issue of emptiness and openness. It will eliminate the enemy of revival. Emptiness. Empty yourself. God cannot fill an already filled container. If we are full of bitterness, we are holding crutches in our, in our hearts, we need to empty ourselves and be open to whatever God wants to do in our lives. You know, somebody has said, when you are holding bitterness in your heart, and then you go home to sleep, you never sleep. You lie in bed, and you are watching the light the whole night. You are hoping that the other person you are bitter with is also turning in bed several times. Probably he is snoring. The point I'm making is this. It's like swallowing poison and expecting somebody else to die. When you are holding bitterness, I don't know why I'm, when the Lord is pushing me to say this. If you are holding bitterness in your heart and you are thinking that you are hurting the other person, you are hurting yourself. You are the one who is going to have stomach ulcers, not the other person. And so if we empty ourselves and be open to God, he will fill us. He will send a refreshing from his presence. And we would experience revival like never before. I want to ask pastor to come and pray for us. Amen. Amen. Such a good word. So many, so many points of reference. Let's all stand together tonight. Amen. Amen. I want you, I'm sure the Holy Spirit can just bring one point or one thought from tonight that we can just bring to the Lord in prayer. It's, it's, I'm sure it's going to be different for everybody, but would you just take one moment, and I'm going to close in prayer. But let's pray over that, and let's, let's be intentional. Tomorrow morning when we wake up, we go to God, and we pray over that thing, and we receive the grace that God has for us. Come on, right now. Father, thank you for each and every one here. Thank you for such a good word, a good word, meaty word with so many so many truths, God, that we could all relate to. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, may the word be applied to our hearts. God, and we call out to you for the grace that we need to believe it and to walk in that truth. God, we believe that the truth has set us free, but we know we must walk in that truth. And we know this grace and mercy and peace God, that is awaiting us when we come to you. So God, tonight we thank you for the word. Let it be applied to our heart. Let it be as that, as that scalpel of the, the precision of a, of, a, of a surgeon. God, just cutting out that which is cancerous, that which is bitter, that which is unhealthy. God, that we might be made whole, God. Let the healing virtue of Christ and his word be applied to our hearts tonight, Father. Thank you for each and every one here today. God, may we, may we awaken with a heart to seek after you, God. God, I pray that we consecrate ourselves 
to pray, to seek your face, and to obey Second Chronicles 7.14 and the many lessons we learned tonight. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you. God bless you. Have a great night. If you have children, remember them in the nursery. Amen.